Each of us has a unique career story to tell. For some, these fly high like rocket launches. For others, they're more like the game of shoots and ladders with advances and setbacks along the way. Either way, we learn countless lessons from these experiences. And that's what we put into the spotlight here at Career Sessions Career Lessons. Join discussions featuring a variety of guests sharing their stories of ups and downs, as well as the secrets of their success and what drives them to continue moving forward. We break down the tools and resources that will help you establish your dream career and realize your professional goals. Here's your host, J.R. Lowry. I'm J.R. Lowry, and this is Career Sessions, Career Lessons, which is brought to you by Pathwise.io. Pathwise is dedicated to helping you live the career you deserve, providing career coaching, content, courses, and community. Basic membership is free, so visit Pathwise.io online and join today. Today, my guest is Kapil Kulshreshta. As a game-changer coach, TEDx speaker, founder of Scintillate Coaching, and author of Play It Full, Kapil helps mid-career professionals step into a life of extraordinary wins. In his corporate life, Kapil ran a multi-million dollar deals as a director for Cognizant, Microsoft, and other firms over 22 years. And then following an epiphany, he quit it all to create a life of impact and a career of generating unstoppable wins for his clients. He runs a multi-million dollar business and has fans across 16 countries because of how he enables them to find joy and purpose in their careers. He was educated in India and now resides with his family in Sydney, Australia. Kapil, welcome. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, JR. Really excited to be here. Let's start with your moment of epiphany. What led up to that moment and how did things suddenly fall into place for you then? I hope that at this point of time, your viewers do not start hating me and say it's not worth listening to this guy because he had so many failures. <laughs> but that's where it started from, really. For me, the whole thing about the corporate world when I was there, there were elements that I love, just like everybody else does, and there are elements which I just had to bear. Just that for me, the ratio of that was really lopsided. The stuff that I did not enjoy was just way too much. For me, there are some takeaways of my corporate life, which I'll talk about later. But essentially, this question that I kept on asking myself was that, is this all there is to my corporate life? Is this my identity when I would go out and meet with some of the people that I don't know. The only thing I was the director at Cognizant who's basically in this senior level role in managing this business. And that just became my identity. Something that I used to take pride in started getting getting to me. And eventually it led to a point where I was fat. I was upset about every single part of my life, my relationships, but just like, sure, let's go and meet people, talk to them. But there was no depth in anything. I was pretending, I was acting with lack of integrity at workplace. Everything was wrong. And I was still getting rewarded. I was still getting my money and my bonus and everything. Ultimately, that broke the camel's back and I had to do something. It's a journey after that. But I can get into specifics. Yeah, it sounds like you describe, I think a lot of people feel that sense of the good to bad ratio not being what they want it to be, the over-identification of themselves really being just who they are professionally and not the other things in their life. I certainly hear that a lot from people that I talk to. I'm sure you hear it a lot from the people that you're working with now in your coaching practice too. Yeah, all the time. In fact, one very precise thing that I discovered about myself was that it was like you have this motivational thing that you hear about, which is, oh, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb the, I was saying, I was saying climb the fridge, climb the tree, and it's going to fail. And that is what I felt. I felt very out of place. 
I felt that there was something inside me which was made of something bigger, something better. I just didn't know what it was. And this feeling was growing for a very long time. And the years that I spent in that space, especially last five years of my corporate journey, where I got a whole lot of rewards, got bonuses, got promoted, won a $100 million deal at one of the large companies in Australia. Everything should have added to a very successful mindset, like very successful person, you know, somebody who's proud of himself. On the contrary, it basically just became bad and bad. And eventually, yeah. I started the journey losing my XX16 kg in 16 weeks, which itself is a whole story. But I once I started this, I did not start. I left my job, started this journey, failed a bit, and eventually brought it to seven-figure practice. Yeah. It has been like quite a journey. Did you know when you left your job that you wanted to get into helping people with their careers or was there a sort of a discovery phase where you had to figure things out? Yeah, very fortunately, thankfully, I knew what I wanted. I did have a coach. I worked with the coach to understand what is it that I could do and I had some options. And ultimately, I found that all the options I had were actually thrown away because what we really did was we really understood why is it that I have ever had a success, had any kind of success in corporate world like at 41, I was a director at Cognizant, which is pretty cool. Like you work for a $16 billion company and you're a director. You're one of the founding members of this large company in Australia. These things add up. But, but then when I looked at it, it was basically just that that identity crisis about, is this all it's going to be? Yeah, there are a lot of stories around it as to how I turned it around, but I knew my direction, fortunately. And me and my coach worked together to find out there are actually two things which are on top of my list in terms of what has what got me all the success. A, I, my relationship with people. Like I would have, I had a very large team, 600 plus people, and people will go on a death march for me when I would ask them. And I genuinely care. And I had these words like love and connection in the corporate world, which was not a typical IT service language. And second thing, I was really good with numbers. So those are only two things that got me that kind of success. And I guess that's the reason why we chose that this is it. I'm going to make my life about adding highest amount of value to people that I can. What does it sound like you've found something which gives you a great sense of purpose? What does it feel like for you now relative to what being in your corporate roles felt like before? What are the big differences? Yeah, look, yeah, great question. I was actually, like a lot of people are asking me this question, how does it feel like? And I would say in the corporate life, I felt... And by the way, before I say that, don't get me wrong, I don't want to say that people should quit their job if they love it. 90% of my clients do not quit their job. What I say to people is that fall in love with what you do. Play it full across all aspects of life of your life. You can definitely eat your cake and still have it. This entire feeling is, in the corporate life, it was, I think I was on top of my game 5% of the time. And 95% of the time, I was being dragged along with that persona that I had created. But yeah. here, it's the other way around that here I'm on high energy most of the time. I don't have bad days. I have bad moments, obviously. Like, <laughs> challenge is not over. I used to be a migraine patient for like last five years of my corporate journey. And I had lost that massive promotion where I had put everything on a stake. I'd become a migraine patient. And in the last six years, I've had zero migraine patients. So it's just yeah. every single part of my life is in place. I'm healthier at 50 I turned 50 last year and I do not feel like 50. I don't believe in any part of me that I need to reverse age. I believe that I've got absolutely amazing relationship with my partner. My girls are doing really great and completely love the work that I'm doing. It just keeps me alive all the time. This energy would not have been possible in that back then. All this is because I knew where I want, where I wanted to go. That was the single biggest thing. 
which is huge and not something that a lot of people ever discover for themselves, which is unfortunate. It's part of the reason why I started doing this to help people get to the better place that works for them, which is different for everybody. You made reference to playing it full. You've got to play it full shirt on. Talk about the book and its overall message that you and your wife Shopa wrote. Yeah. The whole playful philosophy was born because I actually do not think I played it full ever. One of my fear in life was that I will push my daughters to actually be the best and do this and do that. And if they turned around and said, did you do it ever? It would have been a bad thing. That's how the philosophy got evolved. And that entire thing was the message. About three and a half years back, we realized that we need to really let it out to people. So we wrote this book. And the core of this book is really straightforward. One simple thing, which is every single human being is born to be be tall and be healthy and wealthy in mind, spirit and body. That's the whole thing that you can have it all. You do not, we don't have to like balance it out because who looks at you have a balance, you're sitting on a seesaw. It's very boring. It has to move up and down. People talk a lot about, I want a work-life balance. They don't even know what it means. People who who say, I just want to retire and at 45 and smoke pipes, none of it. Just sometimes I wish they don't get what they're saying because it'll be really boring. I'm reading this book called Alchemist, very famous book. And I'm just reading it. And incidentally, I've never read it. I've got a pledge that 52 weeks, I'll read 52 books and I'll make detailed notes about each of the books and publish it. So that's what I've been doing. I'm a big reader. I finished like two to three books a week, but this time it's very different. I'm really making notes. So in this book, there is this, is this parable that the alchemist says, the story that the alchemist says that, sure, you want to find this girl and you want to get married to this girl. And you'll probably do, but you want to find the treasure. So you won't do that. You'll marry her. And the year one, you'll be very happy. You'll become a councilman. People will actually all love you, appreciate you, support you. Everything will be great. Year two, you will start thinking about the treasure that you want to search for, but then you will feel guilty about it, but it will start showing in your behavior. Year three, your wife will think there's something wrong and your work will start to go down because you're so much focused on treasure and you feel guilty about it. Year four, your work will really go down. You will have argument with your wife and year five, you will give up and surrender and probably just die. Something like that. Now, people can replace the wife with something else. People can replace the treasure with something else. People can replace the number of years with something else. And that's the story we all have been creating. I this for 44 years of my life. That's the whole yeah. premise. I think a lot of people hesitate to play it full, to use your expression. They, whether intentionally or unintentionally, they play it safe. They play it small. And yeah. at some point, for a lot of people, I guess that works, mm-hmm. right? And they'll go through their whole lives and their sort of threshold of what makes them happy and satisfied is maybe lower than yours or mine needed to have a higher focus on achievement of my professional life. And there are people like that as well. It's interesting how many people want to play it bigger than they are playing it, but just don't have the courage or the conviction or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I believe that the reason is that we have this, somehow I think we have this tendency to think that I'm going to live forever and can always be corrected. It can always be done. We just want to first build what others have done and then maybe look at it. It's like for most people, these things are a diamond plan, but it ain't going to happen. (laughs) It's not going to happen. You talk a little bit in the book about the corporate beast and some of the myths that people, the prevailing myths, I guess, that sort of sets up. And I mean, it's, I think it's comparable you know, to what, how you described your own situation in terms of just you're living in this fog and all of a sudden you realize that you're living in that fog. Then you get into the, what you described as the triangle of life, relationships and achievement and health. Describe how that framework came to be. You've made reference to parts of it, I think, already in the conversation. Yeah. 
the way it came to be is that most of us, I know in my own life, I was like, never really exercised, never went to gym, had a massive body shame. This part is not working out. Sure, okay, but my career is working out. Relationship, yeah, sure. You take your partners for granted and you feel after a marriage of so many years, you become the best friends, but the lover, push, lover part goes away. So we start at workplace because we're worried about the house and a little bit of a health. Even if we are not doing anything about it, we also start playing it small and we look at other people and saying they're growing and they, they're really doing very well. And we look at them and say, or oh, maybe they are too exceptional or maybe they're actually compromising on the remaining part. I'm able to create a balance. So that's how this whole thought came that if I look at it, you have the triangle of life. The base is your health, your physical health, your energy level. How do you feel inside you? How joyful do you feel so that it just comes out and surface? And then your relationship with yourself. A lot of people that you talk to, especially from people from India, tend to think that sacrifice is a massive value and I should just basically cut myself off and let live for other people. And I'm sure, and there are a lot of other people also who are not from India on this thing because I need to live for my family. But the point is that you cannot pour from an empty cup. You got to have a beautiful, amazing relationship with yourself first. And then you have to have a relationship with your partner and then the family and then the world. People actually just try to make it small again. Me and my family or me. Again, we can play it big here. And the last part, which is work, is becomes a nine to five or just a way to actually make money so that I can follow my passion. That's about when I walk into office, I really want to keep my head high, powerful, feel really great, have a sense of belongingness. And sure, I'm not going to have all good days there. I'm not just going to make do, but really do well. Achievement, sense of belongingness, the amount of money I make, everything can be made bigger. And the triangle of life, if you look at the video, like instead of going just becoming smaller, it has to go up. It has to go bigger, all that thing. You focus on one or two aspects, it's just going to look a pretty weird looking triangle. You can have it all. That's the whole idea of a triangle of life. That's what we do with our clients. That when we work with people, like people say, oh, you're like career, let's talk about career. Oh, I want doubles. Sure. Okay. But at the end of the day, we've had about 700 high-end clients. People from all levels, from basically business analysts to CXO level people, for every single person, without exception, they could be VP at Microsoft to basically working for a big four or whatever. It's always about who they are. It's not about what they do. Too many people are just following what other people do. It, that's the game changer. You have to focus on all aspects. Otherwise, it's not worth it. How do you help your clients do that? Great question. What we have come up with, like over time, We've been working on this. We've worked with lots and lots of people. So we evolved this journey with us, which has a specific timeline, six weeks. And we call it euphoria because that's how you feel. Yeah, I'm feeling euphoric. I'm feeling I'm loving my life. I would say it's got three core principles. And that's what really get it, gets there, them there. A, all the growth that people want is going to come from transformational segment. If you divide the very famous Johari window, I know, others, mothers don't know. First two segments are like arena and facade. They're like personal branding. The segment which I don't know, but others know is a growth segment where teachers come in, trainers come in, mentors come in. It's growth. But the bottom segment, which I don't know and you don't know, that is transformation segment. So that's one se one part, which is who you could be is going to come from that segment. That's one part of the journey, one part of the principle. Second part is that you can have as big dreams as you want, but if the chains that hold you back are really big and deep and you do not know how deep they are. And the third premise is that change is not really slow. In fact, change is very fast. It's about the identity of who you are. People used to make fun of me that if you put food in front of Kapil, he has to finish it off. Otherwise, the world will come to an end. And he's a responsible guy, so he, he eats it. But that same person, zero cheat days, 
zero gym, zero nutrition, 16 kg, 16 pounds. And I used to think I'm like this big, amazing guy who did it like six, almost six years back. But then I have had clients who literally beat it up like black and blue. They, they achieve much more than I do. When people work with us, they actually go through these four stages based on three principles. They go through the stage of resetting first. Like you have to reset. You have to take a look at what is holding you back. And then they take a look at what is it that is, how is it that they can rediscover themselves? Then they redefine themselves and then they relaunch themselves. And that is the game in six-week journey that people take with us mostly. That's what 95% people that we work with do. And at the end, they arrive with absolute clarity what they want to do. And they have the courage, they have the confidence, and they have the certainty that they will be successful. Curious, you do things in this sort of the six-week first that you're describing. How do you help your clients? Your last step in your book, I'm skipping ahead, but your last step in the book is about sustaining the growth. How do you work with them in keeping the trajectory that you help them achieve in the six-week period? Yeah, Yeah, great question. There are two things to it. One is that the only way to make permanent change in life is to shift your identity. That guy who was basically kept on jumping into the holes in the ground and kept on failing me, how is it that I became a good coach? I became a seven-figure coach is because I changed my identity completely. A person who is never a father or a mother, when they have a baby, then they become the father. They can have nephew and niece and cats and dogs, but being a father, being a mother is an identity shift. That's great one level of permanent. What happens then, the habits become an automatic thing. From the book, we have come a really long way, but habits have to, your habits should not be forced on you. It has to become like, it has to become a habit. It has to be automated for you. That's one thing. And second, we also run a mastermind, which basically continues for about a year and people actually are able to participate in that, to partner with us. And we actually have ways in which we keep that energy level high and we help them really navigate some of the things. We get into the growth segment. Once people have the transformation and then we get them into the growth segment where we actually really act as mentors and help them continue to live that way. But at the end of the day, Jayad, everybody has to find their own path. Just saying I, I transform is not sufficient. You got to act. You got to be like that. You got to have the transformation here. And once that happens, it's a lot simpler than it sounds. It's just really simple. Just, I can never gain weight ever in my life now. I, gym has become a part of my life. It's just impossible for me to gain weight now. If somebody is a smoker, you could go and try to leave smoking for a year and one and a half year, two years, leave drinking. I can make somebody, people who really want to quit drinking or smoking in one and a half hour discussion, they will never smoke. Never. Because their identity will become attached to that new one. So once we let go, once we break these chains, home. Yeah, that notion of breaking habits, creating new habits, making the new habits part of your identity. James Clear talked about that in in his book. And it's, it's, I think that's part of the popularity of that book is that it's just, when you think about it that way, it's so straightforward, right? It's hard to do in practice. (laughs) Thank you. If you think about it, that if a book could actually just if knowing would have been the answer to all the questions and everybody in that who reads the book will be like a superstar but that's not what we see around us it's the implementers mountain of wealth is really hiding under the rubble of inaction it's the implementers who get the who get the day that's what it's about going back to the beginning of the process you talk about the importance of self-awareness right how do you help your clients build that self-awareness, right? Whether it's in the framework of the Johari window or whatever you use. Yeah, again, great question. So many people work with us and 95% of people actually get into this six-week journey. The first three weeks are all about that. Like all the weeks are about self-awareness, obviously, because it's like transmission is going from within. It's actually that you have to find the chains which hold you back first. A few weeks back, I was listening to David Goggins and David Goggins shared his journey and he wrote the first book. And then he said, 
at the end of the first book, people started feel, making me feel as if I'm some hero in the cape and I've got like Superman return here and all of it. And I wanted to break that perspective and let them see that I'm very human and I go to a dark place every time I talk about these things. But he said, but the biggest thing is my mom. My mom, his mom has an interview in that and podcast interview with his with him. And she said, my mom, when she got out of that very bad, abusive marriage, she became a dean in a university. She became, I think, a vice chancellor in a university. She did very well for herself. And at the time of the first book, my mom said no for the interview. I said, no, I'm not going to talk about it. And the second book, she talks about it. And what he said is that she's a different woman at this stage. He said, I know you're clapping for her, but you have to understand, 40 years she stayed stuck there. The whole idea is that we all have pain in us. We all have gained experiences. It's like people who understand development, coding. I used to be a developer. It's like you, when you write a piece of code, then you are automatically writing a defect as well. You don't know it. That's why defects are there. That's why you cannot have a defect-free software. And the only way to have defect-free software is to not write a piece of code. As we are writing this code of life, we cannot help but have bugs. We will write some things. And we will start believing in it so much, with so much zeal, that somebody will come and show us the mirror in, the, in front of us and we'll just look right past it. And that's why we stay stuck because we never look at the mirror. So self-awareness is not really about med- meditation and motivation or reading a book and all. It's really about a journey within, really being very brutally honest with yourself and then dragging it from the bottom of and taking a massive action about it. We can see people in three weeks period, people who are like this to becoming like smiling and their face literally just stress goes away. And we've seen it hundreds of times. And it's just amazing to see what happens when you just let go. Yeah. Do you put people through your program in cohorts or do you do it just as individuals? So it's a very, my business course keeps telling you guys are you're crazy. You guys do not do this, but we do this. It's a cohort. Plus, it's a one-to-one in unlimited one-to-one. Plus, it's basically content. Plus, it's homework. Everything that you can think about. We give infinite amount of time during this journey to our clients. And I know that a lot of shift happens in those conversations. I could make a really simple, stupid statement. And that person goes, what did you just say? And that's what happens. And they start talking to other people. They start expressing themselves. And suddenly, somewhere, there's one person who makes one point and boom. I actually want to give you an amazing example. Recently, what happened... That made me see, oh my gosh, this is what happens to all of us. We were coming from one, we were going from one city to another city in India. And we had a taxi. It was a small taxi. We couldn't get a big one. So it was a small taxi. We had lots and lots of luggage. And my wife was next to me and only a two of us were there. Luggage everywhere. And she was sleeping and her leg was really poking in my backside. But I didn't want to wake her up. So I kind of tolerated it. And after a while, I forgot about it. And she's sleeping, she's sleeping about an hour past. And the pain, I wouldn't even notice because I become numb to the pain. And then she moved and the feet stopped. That part just became like free. And suddenly I felt, what? It just felt as if really the weight just went down. What we're doing is a lot of us are actually with this tightness around our chest. That tightness is an indication of we have to let go of something and just walking and walking and walking and walking into offices with that tightness. We're talking to our boss with that tightness. We're talking to our partners and our family with the tightness. We're going to the gym with that tightness. Constantly comparing ourselves with other people. And the tightness is not outside, it's in here. You find that you let go, it's just magical. Gone through that myself, where shifting from one situation into another, all of a sudden you feel this massive weight come off your back or off your shoulders and it affects 
the look on your face. It affects how you walk. It affects your bearing. People can see it in ways that, back to your point about needing the mirror in front of yourself, it's pretty amazing when you get that feedback that people see it, even when you maybe weren't seeing it, the difference between having that tightness and not having that tightness. Absolutely. In fact, I'll tell you, in my book, three and a half years back, I actually did not mention that I was fired from Microsoft for performance reasons. I didn't get fired because of because of politics. That's what people said, right? Oh, they wanted somebody else. It was pure performance. And I couldn't put it. But in 2020, I was in a, in a session with like 500 people in a different group. I thought I need to share it. And I put it out there and nobody judged me. I put it on social media. I'm like really very active on LinkedIn, tens of thousands of followers. And I put it on social media, nobody judged me. When we carry this burden on our head that the world is judging us, but the world is not really judging us. It's not. People are actually not judgmental. People are really good. But we, and maybe at 5% time, somebody will just try to do something with us. But that's how we judge the remaining, we judge ourselves in the remaining 95% situation. The world is really a great place. Nobody judged me. Not a single person. Well, it's a rare person who hasn't had some setback in their career, whether it's getting laid off or getting let go for performance reasons or whatever the case may be. And find myself, and I'm sure you do too, in, in your conversations with people, you have to, first thing with people is just say, look, like there's no shame in what just happened to you. It happens to pretty much everybody. You reset yourself and you move on. But it does, for the people going through that first time, I mean, it. I think it goes back a little bit to the, your point about identity. It's like all of a sudden, it's like their identity has been ripped from them whether they're worried about financial consequences of not having work, even if it's not a near-term issue for them, they still feel like an incredible sense of loss and shame is unnecessary in the scheme of things. Yeah, and I have gone through it. You have gone through it. All of us have gone through it. And only at that epiphany, only when you cross the bridge, you realize that it didn't really have to spend time like this. I didn't have to have so much stress in my life. How do you get your clients seeing the future? Okay. You've gone to the period of self-awareness. How do you yeah. get them to really crystallize what's going to yeah. work for them? There are actually two things that has to happen. A, you actually truly, honestly, not in a motivational way, must not have any change. So you can't have any change. That's the number one thing. So that's the first initial journey. Number two is that they have to build a different relationship with themselves. They really have to put themselves at the center of the universe. And when you put yourself in the center of the universe, without the concern that it means that, oh, if I go to the center of the universe, and I will become very selfish. If you remove that concern, because it will not make you selfish, because if I'm the center of my universe, you're the center of your universe, and I'm going to respect that fully. So you do that, that's the second part. And the third part is that what then we do is that help people really understand their inner circle, which is what we call the inner circle, their inner values. What is really core to them? What does this mean that I'm the center of the universe? What is core to me as a human being, as a person, not as a professional or this? And once you do that, you'll have changed. you found your inner circle. It's really a lot more easier to actually get there. Good example analogy would be a rocket. Most of the people are actually into trying to get to the, off the surface of the earth, small smaller one and a half feet fit booster. But that's just required for space. For the beginning, you need a big, like five of those four by four meter thrusters and a huge right. tank and go up against the friction. Once you're there, that's when it becomes easy. It really becomes very easy once you've let go, once you've got a building block in place, and once you have found inner circuit, it's just and your eyes open up saying, this is what I'm going to do. And then post that, you obviously have to date it a bit. You have to understand. Why? And you have to take small actions to make sure that it's not just emotional vision, but something that you really love. 
and I have this rule of three. If it exhilarates you, that's the thing. If it exasperates you, then it, it might be the thing because you sometimes get angry about things which are not correct. And that might be a thing. If it's exhaust you, if it's exhilarate you, exasperate you, or exhaust you, if it's exhaust you, it's not your thing. Because things that you love cannot exhaust you. It can make you angry, but if it exhilarates you, that's it. Go do it. Do it without money. Just keep going. Do not stop. I think one of the key things in the book that you talk about is taking focused, massive actions. That the essence of playing at full. You've got somebody at this point who's got that self-awareness, that's figured out what's core to them, the inner circle as you just described it. How do you then get them thinking about being big and bold and not just being incremental? Perfect. And that's what happens in the last week of the journey, what I call the courage week. Like, it's a great thing to think of big idea. Oh, I'm going to do this. Now, can you be consistent with that? How do you become consistent with something that you think you are, you believe you are? A, through habits. What are the habits that you put in place across this entire journey? A. And what has stuck to you? Instead of following other people's perspective of get up at 5 a.m. and do this, build your own. That's one. Second is really starting to operate from the core of who you are, your values and your strength, what you are actually. And third, but above all, above everything, setting up standards that you just have to meet. Setting up standards which are very, very natural to you. So once people start doing that, once people start seeing small success, then it just becomes an automatic thing for them. And throughout the journey, people will build their success very gradually and ultimately be the place where it's easy, it is permanent, it is not going to change. One of the things that Tony Robbins keeps talking about it in this very core of what we also help people get is that language has a power to actually create a reality. If I'm going to focus on the example that, I don't know if you've heard, that in California, desert in California, there's there are pillars and there is empty space, there are pillars. Pillars are, let's say, 20 centimeters wide, empty space is about 20 meters. Where do most of the accidents happen? On the pillar. The cars hit the pillar. The probability of it is 20 by 20,000, which is ridiculous. What's the chance it's going to happen? Why? Because I'm just looking at the pillar and saying anything but the pillar, anything but the pillar, and I go into it and crash into it. That's what we do with our language. We focus on something, it will become real for us. And it's hard as hell. I've tried it. I failed so many times in this, and I end up using a negative language for myself, and I fall flat. I'm quick to get up because I know, okay, yeah, this was me focusing on the wrong. That's the way it works. That is the magic in the universe. You talked a little bit about the types of people that you're helping in your coaching practice. Do you feel like with the pandemic and remote working and hybrid working and recession and inflation and all the things that are going on in the world of business right now, are you sensing a change in terms of the kinds of things that people are wrestling with now relative to maybe pre-pandemic? Massively. I think pandemic created that opportunity for people that they got what they wanted, work-life balance, and they found that they didn't think like anything like work-life balance. That was a huge shift. It also created a lot of opportunities like the great resignation drive, which happened across pretty much across the entire world with lots and lots of this thing. And people started getting more and more money. Let's also take a second box where they're getting more money, but then they're like, shucks, it still doesn't do anything for me. More people started looking for within themselves and started looking what could I do. And so I've seen definitely seen a shift. But there's another perspective to this. I learned this, and I don't know how accurate it is, but I learned this from a client of mine who was really handling a very, very large portfolio in the financial services industry. And what he said that in a good economy, there is $37 trillion rotating in every day in a good economy. In a bad economy, people like me, would, people like me who are like financially illiterate in front of people like him would think that, yeah, it will be $20 trillion. But actually, what he said is the economy goes down by probably like $1 trillion. And I was shell-shocked. 
So there's still demand. Yeah, you, people are still eating, buying food and all of it. Yeah, it makes sense. Another friend of mine here in Tall in Australia told that actually the freight during the pandemic actually increased. It is so contrary to common sense that I would live my life. That's why I think at the time of recession, when everybody's just trying to be small and, oh, I should not get up, otherwise my neck will get chopped. I think what people need to do is to get aggressive then. Really tap into the hidden reservoir inside them and take the center stage and really go out and help their organizations. Like Because if they focus on fear, oh, I might get fired, then they will manifest the reality. But if they focus on, yeah. okay, my organization is going through something. If I think I understand it, not that if I don't think I understand it, maybe what I need to do is to help them out with that process. And maybe I need to be playing my A game now. And they will always get noticed. I was sent to Australia immediately after the recession. You know, a company, yeah, sure, it was a big company, it could invest in all of it. But if a company can do that, that at the time of recession, you actually send a person out there in a country, just two people in the country and try to build a business here. And Cognizant was a global giant back then, but it grew there in Australia. When individual, when company can do it, individuals can do it. At the time of recession, instead of just smalling, just rise up, take more, more responsibility. And that could be a massive game changer. It just could be a massive game changer. They yeah. have to really believe in themselves. They have to believe that they have a lot to contribute. Yeah, it's a mindset shift. I've seen it having worked in companies that have gone through periods of downsizing, a lot of people do play it really safe. They play it to not be at the bottom of the pecking order, but they stop playing to win. And pretty soon that becomes the culture of the place, right? And playing not to lose as opposed to playing to win. And there's a big difference between those two. That's it. I 100% yeah. Talk a little bit about your own journey. You mentioned you two strengths earlier that carried you through, right? The ability to build relationships and have people walk through walls for you and your strength with numbers. Are other things that have been strengths for you? And what are the areas that you've had to work on developing? Yeah, okay. Development has been going forever. For me, I never really quite fit into the corporate world. I have a twin brother and he doesn't look like me at all. And my twin brother is from the topmost institute in the country. And I went to like second tier colleges, decent colleges. When I was up, growing up, I always had this perspective that there was always this heavy tension and I would always get inspired by him and do stuff. And I think that's one of the reasons why I studied, I could study and reach at least engineering college was because of him, because he studied and I could see him. But there was always this thing in my mind that there's only one star in the universe, which is my brother, and I can never cross him. And I don't want to cross him. But it was not a conscious thought. So I discovered that part that now, actually, there could be multiple A places. So that was one of the massive learning and journey about myself. And the second thing was that I had, I was always a very high energy guy, always. But energy was haphazard. It was all over the place. Channeling it down was something that took some of the greatest leaders that I worked with. That's what it took. Other thing that was really great about my career, that I have always had great managers, including a guy who fired me, actually. Including that guy who fired me. He's an MD of a large company in India. And I actually interviewed him for one of the summit that I was doing. And at the end of it, we both took off our t-shirt and like doing this, like he's one year older to me. And I told him, hey, Tarun, if you had given me all these information and all the things that you shared today, back in 2005, when you had to fire, you wouldn't have to fire me. And he said, if I had not fired you, you wouldn't have been here. He knew he had to do that, right? It's just, I was really messing it up. I've had great managers. One of my best was basically became my best mate, my mentor for life, my friend for life. He stays in Melbourne. His name is Madhu. If there is anybody who basically works for Cognizant and Alfred, they will probably know that guy is amazing. He really became that guide, that torch 
who really made me see who I was. He made me see I'm very creative. I'm very client focused. Clients love me. He made me see that I'm made of a lot of love and a lot of contribution. So I had my twin brother. He's like a all patent guy and all that 10 pointer and all that stuff. Compared to us, I failed so much, fell down so many times. But when I look at it, in all of those, there was a lesson I kept on getting about my life. There was a lesson. There was, yeah. there was like always a zeal to move forward. There's always something which is contribution being at my very core. I guess that's the biggest learning about myself has been that, that you know what, it's just that things will go wrong around me, but I would look at ways to contribute. Not always. I have a lot of frailties as well. Sometimes I'll basically be a bitch and moan, but literally that's what it, my raw base emotion is that how can I leave something a bit better than I found? I think that's one of the biggest driver I've got. Which is a good value to hold dear. I know you're a big reader. You mentioned that earlier. You've done a lot of courses and seminars over the years. You've mentioned a few books, but what books have been your biggest influences? Okay. Yeah. So one is Mr. David Goggins. He just showed that impossible is possible for normal people. That was like a big eye opener. The other one, one of my most favorite book is The Magic of Thinking Big. Just really, it opened up pathways for me, which I did not know possible. It was just one of the most things. I've also, in my top list, is also Vishen Lakhani's uh, The Code of Extraordinary Mind, which I would recommend to everybody. It's just, just such an amazing book. Then after that, after that, like this, I cannot start naming. I'm a big fan of Russell Benson's everything that he writes. I love it. I love Brenna Brown. Everything she says on your day changed my perspective about things. The Mel Robbins book, The Five Second Rule, was a huge thing because I struggled with anger issues, really struggled with it. And I really struggled. And after that, the guilt that comes with that is worse. That again, I'm back to that. The Five Second Rule was amazing. It really changed things for me. There's a book called The Pivot, which was again, I can just remember it immediately. Lots of biographies. Lots of book on like neuroscience about how the brain works, actually. The very first book that I reviewed this year is called An Untethered Soul, The Journey Beyond Yourself. It's okay. just, I'm very big on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, I'm putting these summaries and all of it. And I can share that LinkedIn profile. People can take a look at all the content and stuff that I've done. But this book summary is really giving me a lot that The Untethered Soul is a book I think every person should read. Just, just it's just an exceptionally well-done written book. What about leaders? What leaders do you admire? That's really is because a lot of people may not like it. That I saw an interview very long back with Dalai Lama where somebody asked him that do you get angry? And Dalai Lama gives a huge laugh saying, oh, he just takes a deep breath in and let it out and said that oh, I get so angry. And it was a big shocker and I could realize that he can get angry with the intake of a breath and let it out without pain. So that's my that's like my inspirational. So that's one person I absolutely adore and love. The other people that really like pretty much a lot of people is like the richest man on earth. I'm amazed at him. And I know a lot of people hate him and all of it, but he's so much driven by the massively transformative, trans- transformative purpose. And I just love it. Then there's uh, Peter Diamandis, who basically has an Xprize Foundation guy. Like, it's just so amazing. Everything he writes, it's just brilliant. And everything, the way he's bringing things together, I am absolutely in love with Tony Robbins. A lot yeah. of people will not call him a leader. He's the best coach in the whole world, but I love, absolutely love him. I love Russell Benson. So I know these people are not per se industry leaders. And more than the industry leaders, I actually follow more of these people who are really changing the world one dot at a time, one tick at a time, entrepreneurs of yeah. today. I completely, my mornings are filled with that. Like after my me time, it's filled up with stuff from their side. It's just remarkable.
What else are you reading your gym time? What else do you do that helps you recharge your battery and keep you energized? Yeah, so one of the things that I do is that getting up early in the morning, having me time. And that's not something which I started long back, actually. It's a shameful thing for a coach to say that, that I've had double standard, but I've had many double standards, and this is one of them, that I lost that way out of, and I said, no, I'm comfortable, I get up at 8 a.m. But one fine Saturday, I was like, no, I've got to get up at 5. And I knew that the only way I'll get up at that time is if it's a, it's a, it's like, it's not forced. So I started getting up at five and that has become a core part of my life. It happened all of a sudden. It has become a core part of my life where first three hours is only for myself. I do walk, I do run, I do, I do meditation, I do my little yoga. I know I eat healthy, listening to a book at that, at the end of it. And I would basically take notes. First three and a half hours of my time in the morning is completely my no disturbances. In the beginning, I thought it would create guilt because I'm really attached with my wife in a massive way. And it was like, if we are not spending time with each other, there should be guilt. But funnily enough, it did not lead to guilt. It actually led to better relationship with her. Just getting my, I'm getting my fill. I think that's one of the yeah. best things I'm doing right now. And I have to see what it creates more of. But other than that, one of the other things that, that I learned not too far back, probably only about a year back, is the presence. I was always like, my high energy will always translate to do, just do and do. And I took a help of a coach and he helped me get into the being. And that just is amazing because that means that where I am, that becomes the most important thing for me in life. And that is just so fulfilling. People can tell you to follow A habit, B habit, C habit, but I guess everything that you do has to be really effortless for you to stay. These are the things I'm doing right now, which I'm, and I'm super excited about how it, how it comes out. The reading a book and all of it, I was like, in the beginning, honestly, when I said, I'm going, to, I'm, going to listen, I'm going to write about one book a week, I thought I'll do two because I could easily read three. My best has been six books in a week. And I thought I could do it. It was just a vanity metrics. That's how I announced it. Oh, it would be cool for my LinkedIn. But then when I started doing it, in the second book, my mind started like opening up like anything. Because suddenly, you would think you've got it. But literally 10 seconds later, you forgot what you were writing. So you had to go back. So a book which will take me normally four and a half, five hours, because I listen to it fast, as you can tell, I need fast. It would take me like the full eight, nine hours because I have to listen to it again. And suddenly, and I'm glad that I said one book a week because I would have totally failed. Suddenly, book listening is no longer about the vanity that, oh yeah, I have read 600 books. It's actually what matters. It's just such a huge thing. I would encourage everybody to just take notes. Do do books. And if it doesn't change anything, don't do anything. But if you just take notes, it just opens up something inside you. Very differently. These are some of the things I'm really excited about, and I don't have to see how it turns out. You read very differently when you do it that way. I tend to yeah. read. I read on an e-reader. Usually, it's my phone. I highlight. It's a bit harder. It sounds like you're mostly listening to books and taking notes while you're listening. A lot of my reading is on the train to and from work. Highlighting is at least one way of paying a bit more attention to it. But it takes a lot more time to read a book that way than to just read it. And you do internalize it a lot more deeply. I agree. Yeah. I'm really not good with reading words. If I read words, I would sleep. I know that I've, it's my solid weakness. <laughs> and Audible is just works really magically for me. There are some books that you have to, you can't listen. For instance, this book, this book, Power Versus Force, listen to it. It's just, you got to read this book. And, and honestly, you got to read it like multiple times to understand it. I think I've read it like four times, three times maybe. And I still, a lot of it just goes way above my head. I know that the day I understand the whole book, I would have become a different person. Yeah. yeah. What? career lessons would you want people to take away? Things you wish you had known when you were younger? Wow, just very loaded question. 
I think this is the, 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 the thing that people are trying to have big goals, big ideas, big thinking. And a lot of it is really success from other people's perspective. So if they can change one thing, define success for themselves and not stop there, because that will just give a massive dopamine hit, decide that what does success mean? And then second step is commit to that success in whichever way. Commit by having a coach. Commit by starting something, communication, conversation. And the next is take a massive immediate action. And that is all about letting go of stuff that got. Know that all of us will have issues. We have to find them and let go. But we have to find out where we want to go, our own definition of success, what really holds us back, commit to removing it, and take an action to start removing it. That would be the thing. And I can actually contribute to your reader by, by two things, which is basically, I'm happy to share the audio copy of my book, as well as a training that I've specially created for podcasts, which is basically, which is really about how do you gain psychological confidence? How do you arrive there? You're not situational confidence that once I'm in the situation, I feel confident. But more like within you, inside you, those are the two trainings that I would love to give to your viewers and to, your, to people who are listening to this. Yeah, that'd be great. I will happily take that and all this comes together. Thank you for doing this. Glad we were finally able to make it happen. Lots of wisdom shared. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for letting me just not be unchained and be unbridled and all of it with all my excitement. Be glad to be here. Thank you like for making time for me. Really appreciate it. It was great having Kapil on the show today to discuss his own career journey, his moment of epiphany, and his work as an executive coach. If you're ready to take control of your career, visit pathwise.io. If you'd like more regular insights, become a Pathwise member. Basic membership is free. You can also sign up on the website for the Pathwise newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of Pathwise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. We provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at Pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.